This is Blatant Misreading, a podcast where we take academic and political theory somewhere it was never meant to go, popular culture. My name is Margie Tong-Oxley. And my name is Aaron Posner. So today we're going to be talking about Richard Linklater's 2003 family comedy, School of Rock, and analyzing it with French philosopher Michel Foucault's Discipline and Punish, The Birth of the Prison. Great. So School of Rock, if you've never seen it, follows Dewey Finn, uh, who's played by Jack Black, and he's a washed up rocker who refuses to let go of his dreams to win the local battle of the bands. Short on rent, Dewey impersonates his roommate, Ned, uh, also a former rocker, but now a straight-laced substitute teacher, for a job at a prestigious prep school. After spending some time stealing students' food and granting excessive recesses, Dewey discovers that the students all play instruments in orchestra. Hatching a plan, he decides to form a band with the class, tricking them into believing that the band is part of an assignment when he really aims to win the battle of the bands and pocket the cash. Dodging the watchful and restrictive eye of Principal Roz Mullins, the other teachers, and the real Ned and Ned's girlfriend, Patty, Dewey rehearses with the students and teaches them about the history, culture, and spirit of rock music, uh, opening up the creativity of these nerdy-ass students along the way. Although they ultimately lose the battle of the bands, they convince everyone at the uh, show that the School of Rock does indeed rock, uh, leading Ned to dump his overbearing girlfriend, uh, Principal Mullins, to appreciate Dewey's free-spirited attitude, and Dewey and Ned to start an after-school rock music program in their apartment. Um, so let's do like a quick breakdown of like the key of the key kids. So we said you have Dewey, who's faking the uh, substitute teacher job, his roommate Ned, uh, and then the kids. You have Zach is the the lead. He's sort of like the the modest lead guitarist. Right. And the one who's getting bullied by his dad. Yeah. So there's a real strong parallel in his life to Dewey's life. Yeah. <laughs> there's um, yeah. Freddie on the drums, who is basically just like hyperactive is his thing. Right. He's sort of like, I, I guess like a, a Bart Simpson type deal. Yeah, for sure. There there's Katie on bass who has no personality other than being the fact that right. she's a, a girl. Yeah. Her quality is that she is a girl. <laughs> Um, Lawrence on keyboard, who is sort of low self-esteem and shy, doesn't have any friends, doesn't think he's cool. Yeah. Uh, to me, and I think there's um, there's several singers, but I feel like Tamika's the one who's like really standing out. So she's the one who is originally signed to be like a, a bodyguard, but then is like, I love to sing. Right. And so Jack Fox makes her the lead singer. Right. She's another one who doesn't have like full confidence and gets it in the movie. Um, and then there's mm-hmm. Summer, who's played by Miranda Cosgrove. She's not in the band, but uh, she is, the, you know, the sort of originally head of the class and, uh, you know, then becomes the band manager. Okay, so kind of moving on to the theory. So we're going to focus um, just on the discipline section of um, Foucault's book, Discipline and Punish, because it is so long um, that it's way too much to do in one episode. And so in Discipline, uh, Foucault illustrates several ways in which those in power enforce discipline and obedience. First, he suggests that segmenting people into defined groups and categories restricts their actions and behavior. This also creates hierarchies between the groups. So further, Foucault suggests that the segmenting creates what he calls docile bodies that are easily used in warfare, labor, and in classrooms. 
Foucault finishes with a discussion of the panopticon, one of his sort of most famous metaphors, which he envisions as a circular prison structure in which a central tower gives guards the ability to observe any given prisoner at any time, um, or at least give the feeling that they're always being observed. Though the guards will not always be looking at every prisoner, each prisoner is forced to constantly follow the rules as the guard could be watching them at any time. Foucault, this highlights that structures like a panopticon allow those in power to control people's behaviors without the use of physical force or violence. Right. So, like, to give a, like, quick rundown of the panopticon in, like, more layman's terms, like, basically you have, like, a courtyard prison and the building is, like, a donut. And mm -hmm. in, in the middle of that courtyard, you have a tower. And facing in in the donut building, there are all these windows. Uh, right. And so the prisoners know that they could be seen by the guard and so they can never misbehave because if they, right. they always risk being caught. Right. And I think the key is that they can never actually ever see the guards. Right. Too. Um, because they can't ever be able to figure out the system of when the guards appear. So it's like the guards are never there, but always there. Right. Exactly. Awesome. So we're going to move into analysis of the movie, but first uh, on theme, we're eating Lunchables uh, as this movie takes place almost entirely in an elementary school or middle school. Anyways. So I think we both, have pizza lunchables right yeah but i think i have a shittier pizza lunchable than you do um it's mine does not have a dessert or a drink with it oh you're like it's just lunchable. the pizza yeah yeah they were actually like sold out of every other lunchable at target today mm. so there was it was slim pickings yeah i almost went with the chicken dunkers but i, I Ooh. uh so yeah, we're going to take a second and just like give like a a quick nostalgic rundown of our past uh school lunch days. Um I think you and I are both public school kids, right? Yeah. Mhm. Mm so like I was I was mostly a a bring lunch kid. I was I was almost never a buy lunch kid. Mm. I think I was often a buy lunch kid, though I feel like my parents would go through phases of bringing lunch for me mm. um, where, but those would always burn out because my parents would like go too hard yeah. with trying to pack me lunch. Like I have a very distinct memory of my father getting really in to packing me shrimp cocktails for lunch. Wow. Um, I, <laughs> and so I have like a, <laughs> a little Tupperware full of shrimps and another Tupperware uh. full of cocktail sauce. And that I would get bullied like mercilessly for this. Yeah. I mean, um, like, like people were not into the shrimp cocktail lunches. Yeah, snoo snooty kid with you know, shrimp <laughs> lunch. Yeah, I don't know what I would eat. I would eat like a lot of, like probably not actually healthy things, but things that could like be marketed as healthy. So like yeah, a lot of sure. like, leather. Um, a lot of like Ooh. I don't know, like you know gummy candies, but like not like gummy gummy candies. Um, yeah, the ones made with real fruit juice. Right. A lot of like yogurts, but like, you know, like really sweet yogurts. Mm -hmm. um, and then I feel like when I bought lunch, it would be like, I mean, I don't know. My school wasn't like my school system wasn't awful with school lunches, but it definitely wasn't good. Like it was very like big vat of ground meat. And that would be like taco day and also sloppy Joe day. Yeah. I mean, my elementary school lunches were very like whatever but i i remember a distinct moment in middle school when you know like really clamped down in california on healthy school lunches and they just like took out everything in the vending machine and replaced it with healthy things like moment. going from 
Lay's potato chips to guacamole tortilla chips, and it was life shattering. Yeah, I don't think that ever uh, happened in Maryland. <laughs> I don't think that we had a, <laughs> a health a health initiative while I was there. Uh, I don't. It was all like fine, and there were there were always like carrots. You know what I mean? Like the, you always had like the good like thing of like of there being a vegetable available, but like everything else was just like I don't know shit. <laughs> Yeah, I remember being served a lot of jicama sticks and then boycotting jicama sticks jicama because sticks? I was, yeah, I was really, really creeped out by these white carrots that I didn't mm. understand what they were. They would taste really weird if you thought they were carrots. I did. No one explained to me what they were. Okay, great. So I think that was a, a very sweet and informative uh, window <laughs> into both of our school and childhoods. Uh, so let's uh, jump in with Foucault in the movie. Um, yeah. I'd honestly, I'd love to get just like a. A, a sense of so like i like this movie i watched a lot as a kid like this is one of my movies that i like watched just like all the time but like this is like the first time you saw it right yeah i'd never seen it before um as has been the theme i was anti um whimsical things as a child and this is a very whimsical anti hard work movie you know yeah margie was uh, a no nonsense no nonsense <laughs> child for all listeners yeah, yeah i i I was Miranda Cosgrove, basically. Mm, oh, good call. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I feel like I just like watching this movie is like I was just so fully like I, I had no way to even judge how good or bad it was because I just like it was like, oh, yeah, I like this part. No, I was really sold on it. Like I was like shocked. I was like my like my mouth was open by the end of it by just how amazing it was because I feel like constantly I underestimate Jack Black movies. I think they're going to yeah. be like very whatever. But then I watch them and they're so good. Like Kung right. Fu Panda fantastic right you always i mean not you like everyone like me oh you always think jack black is going to be annoying yeah and then when you actually watch the thing you're like oh you were you're very endearing like you're actually like very uh charismatic yeah and i do think that like the movie is really like trying to put forth pretty like i think i don't want to call it radical but trying to put forth some progressive politics for it yeah. being like 2003 yeah you definitely. know yeah which we can talk about a little bit further but i do appreciate like i do feel as if Jack Black frequently addresses like body body size issues in his yeah, movies yeah. as well as trying to include like a diverse array of kids. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, let's jump in. So I think our first thing like re Foucault with this movie is that to talk about the fact that the prep school is the site of discipline. Um, and the right. schools by their very nature are very sort of restrictive. Right. And so, I mean, I think that in discipline, Foucault kind of, frequently draws on schools as a classical um, site of discipline. But I think prep schools kind of even go a step further because Foucault talks about extensively um, in discipline systems, it's all about segmenting bodies. So everyone has a role and a place they have to be in. And prep schools by their very nature are segmenting out a certain group of people from other groups of people. So public school kids from private school kids. Um, and it's even just by the nature of them being there, it's an indicator of their socioeconomic class or their kind of quote unquote intelligence or work ethic, right? Yeah, definitely, right. Like he, uh, Foucault talks about, you know, the hierarchies, the example he gives of like talented kids from not talented kids, and that's definitely replicated here. And so then, you know, even then a step further, like within the school, you see that like when Jack Black gets there, their lives are very sort of segmented. Uh, and they have like a really strict schedule, a really strict lesson plan that they have to keep up with. And they all have these roles within the class. Yeah. And they, and I mean, everything they do is, um, 
up for discipline or up for um, reward, right? Right. Um, and so, I mean, we see right away that um, they're kind of ruled by this gold star system, um, like a yeah. classic little kid thing, where if they do good, they're rewarded with the gold star. But simultaneously, if they don't do well, they are punished by not getting the gold star, which yeah, does seem to be a huge it. motivator for at least like Miranda Cosgrove. She is like obsessed with these stars, obsessed with these stars. I mean, like when Jack Black comes in and he's like, yeah. fuck the star system, her whole like, like world yeah. is shattered is that she has been <laughs> she's been like disciplined for so long that she doesn't know what is the point of doing anything without right. this reward yeah. system like like it it almost becomes more important than like the idea right. of just education in general Which, right uh, yeah so it seems like a great moment for a quick miranda koskarov digression uh like a figure who like you know i feel like was present throughout both of our childhoods for just like omnipresent uh like between drake and josh and this yeah. and iCarly. yeah and i mean she like constantly just like plays the same yeah. character right. i it's feel like, like like almost the straight man yeah to, like, it's like i feel like it's point. just variations like more or less mean of the same character like she's really mean yeah. in drake and josh right and like redeemable I- in this and is like not so mean in iCarly. right i mean they're all like both all these iterations like she's really really square right, she's, she's kind square. of a tight ass like a good girl right but it's yeah it's just like in drake and josh she's just like horribly mean to her brothers and then in iCarly she's like really really nice yeah. but still the I same Carly person a weird fucking show yeah it, it really is i feel like i was trying to think of like descriptors for her for carly but she has like i feel like no actual personality other than like right. bubbly it, yeah, it and is, nice you know you said quirky off mic it is very like it is just that like early 2010s like oh like everything's weird like isn't that weird <laughs> like and, like i don't know yeah exactly. right right but even not as weird as like her brother right Wait, her brother oh oh on that card, yeah sorry. right she's that older like, brother brother yeah and so yeah we we see in the school that there's also other segmentation um the staff each have like very specific roles that they perform as with many schools and then principal Mullins mm-hmm. tells uh, Jack Black when he first comes to the school that like any misbehaving kids should just be sent to her office. And we see her like reprimanding a kid later. So there's like this very clear hierarchy of where right. each thing goes and how you do each thing. And it's very just like firm and restricted. Right. I mean, like even in the class, like going back to Myrna Cosgrove, like she not only is like um, the, by being the kid with the highest amount of gold stars, she gets to be what do they call it in like rich kid school? It's like the fulc the fulcrum. She's basically like the oh, foreman oh, of the, the class, and so she gets this level. Yeah, yeah. And so she gets this level of kind of um, hierarchy over the rest of the class, where she gets to sort of control some of their movement, monitor some of right. their behavior. Yeah, were you as ever well. like a like a hall monitor or anything like that? No, my school's way too small to have hall monitors. We just like. Yeah, it was a high. It was a it was a school. We of had um, you know something that I I never was a patrol, but we had something called patrols, and a, you had this like fancy little neon belt that you would wear, like mm. sort of like sort of like a sash, uh, and <laughs> you would like stand in the hallway with your like arms behind your back, and they would be spaced out like every like five tiles in the hallway in the morning, and they would just stand there while you went to class. It was kind of insane, actually. Like they were like a, authority figures. 
Right. I mean, it's so weird. And I think it is very Foucault-ian that, like, if you do a good job, you get, like, right. more responsibility. Right. Where, like, in my elementary school, I feel like if you did a good job, you got to just, like, fuck Yeah, off I feel like the there was some the amount of that within class, but there definitely, like, was this system of, like, like becoming the narc kid if you, like, did a good job. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that maybe brings us to talking about like the different panopticons, the different like systems of observation that are present in this movie. Right. Because I mean, I do think that like this hierarchy that we we're talking about is incredibly important because you need to have hierarchy segmentation so that everyone has in any moment a role and a place they're yeah. supposed to be. And so that you can properly monitor that everyone is doing what they're right. supposed to be Which doing. Which is like right? very represented in the school. Um, and you can see even like some of the teachers talk about like, yeah, the principal is always strict. Like she's always like this. Um, but mm -hmm. Jack Black's character Dewey mm -hmm. is sort of interesting in relation to this because he is observed like constantly. Uh, his roommate and his roommate's girlfriend especially are really on about him like, you need to get a job. You need to stop being like such a uh, mooch off of us. But he just like doesn't care <laughs> at all. Right. Like he's like the classic fuck up in a lot of ways. Right. And Foucault kind of notes in, in discipline that um, sort of the modern discipline system is very different than feudal systems in that in a feudal system, right, that the more prestige or sort of honor a person holds, the more individuality right. or intention they're given. We think of like how we know much more about King Arthur right. or other lords and ladies than we do sort of peasants. But in discipline systems, delinquents and troubled kids or lazy people, like kind of Jack, how Jack Black is sort of characterized in this movie, are given more individuality and attention through the need to discipline right. and punish these um right and troubled so he's individuals. the center of attention but it's because like everyone else can't believe that he's like this and like even even his band who he gets kicked right. out of at the beginning for being too like extra and like taking too many solos and stage dives <laughs> um even his band who are these other rockers <laughs> are like watching him and are like stop doing this like stop this individuality stop acting up breaking the rules yeah Right, like you need you are the bass the, player, right? He's, he's like the, the lead player? guitarist. Right. I mean, they're very angry that he kind of goes outside right. of his prescribed right. role he, like, too much in the space. band, essentially. But yeah, this is like despite how much that um, Dewey is being disciplined by his band, by his um, roommates, by Sarah Silverman, right? He does not care, I think, and kind of comes into the school, which is sort of the center of an octagon world and knows he's being constantly monitored and yeah. like doesn't give a shit so he just like fucks off he like naps he takes everyone's food and then eventually like you know once he starts to form the band he um is still just like does whatever he wants is doing this band practice with no regard for the fact that uh principal mullins could like come in right. at any moment and, and like, they like devise him. these like very elaborate systems to like make that happen like they have mm -hmm. they have security guards and they have security cameras and they have like all the instruments can like roll into closets like at the like you know snap of a finger if they see so that someone's going to come into the classroom and then they like are pretending like they're doing a normal lesson so he's like a pretty he's a pretty like strategic and like right. effective actor in this system right i mean yeah so like the tricks make it hard to kind of tell honestly if like he is sort of entering this panopticon with the attitude of like, I don't care, 
that's what I'm going to go about what I'm doing. And I think that is kind of, I guess, the attitude he takes at first. Or if he's sort of someone who is positioned to be able to defeat the Panopticon, right? Like, he basically has the ability to identify these guards in the shadow that no one can see and be able to tell what their movements are and when he would right, be caught. Right, yeah. I, so I, I, I think the movie is invested in saying that he is someone who can break it, like that his individuality can be the yeah. thing that, like, brings back heart to these people and makes these people recognize, like, what they're capable of and everything that they can do um, and like everything they can do together. Um, and I think that, I mean, I don't know what Foucault would say and obviously Foucault would probably be a little bit more cynical about it, but like, I, I think that sort of bears out with what Foucault might think about it because he's talking about this system, but knowing his politics and also just how he writes about this kind of thing, you would think that he would hope for something that would be the sort of break in the cogs of the system Mm-hmm. right i do think ultimately like the way panopticons are set up is you can't yeah. ignore them right like that isn't a, a way of beating them because at every level even if you sort of like get past one panopticon he kind of asserts that there's always another panopticon people are within like even right. principal mullins is ultimately trapped in a panopticon of a very intense oversight by right. um, she talks about the parents. parents who are who are watching her always um, and yeah, and so there's no, like, just being able to ignore the disciplining force. You kind of have to actively counteract yeah. it. And so then, I think then just, like, the last Panopticon that we'll talk about is gender in this movie, which is all sorts of Oh, my God. This is, yeah. I think this is, like, yeah. the big downfall of this movie, right? It's because we essentially have, there are a handful of various female characters in the movie, but the only real two adult female characters we get is Sarah Silverman, who is um, Jack Black's roommate, Ned's girlfriend, and then Principal Mullins. And Sarah Silverman basically is like stuck playing this like just mean, overbearing girlfriend who is just like kick Dewey out because he's like a lazy piece of shit. Let me ruin your life. Um, Like, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like kind of, you, you must very much get the sense that like, Ned is yeah. terrified of her and that his actions are almost motivated by the constant fear of um, repercussions right. from her. And, right? and right. And then principal Mullins is sort of like the other side of that coin where she's not, she's not personally so mm-hmm. mean, but like, but she is, she, she's like never relaxed. You can never just talk to her. She's always trying to like stop kids from having fun. Uh, so there's sort of like two sides of a sort of very problematic coin yeah and it it i just thought about the fact that also like the other really prominent female characters miranda cosgrove right and she is almost like it it almost seems Mm -hmm. like it's like yeah this this kid is in line to just become like these other two like awful women uh so like thank god that we're like we're stopping her from becoming like that which is all you know a horrible message yeah for sure and i think that like I mean, it's definitely putting forth this, like, power of rock to, like, break this cycle of, like, bitch women, right? Um, And we see that ultimately, like, Principal Mullins is able to be softened by her love of, what is it that she loves? Like, um, yeah, Stevie Nicks. And kind of, like, Jack Black finds this sort of way in with her. But we never, you know, we never see this with Sarah Silverman. Like, the question is, is Sarah Silverman, like, the ultimate 
unbeatable panopticon yeah you know? right. that, that could definitely be possible yeah and it's it's interesting that like the men are you know they're also men who like get to like have their like childhoods or their like love of rock or whatever reawakened but they don't have to deal with that same like they're just like nice guys who have like forgotten about the joys of rock but like the mm -hmm. like other like like women in the movie are like they they are awful and then they maybe become less awful right i mean he's never gone this movie's of course never going to address that like probably a lot of this sort of meanness of these female characters is motivated by the sort of the reverse panopticon right. of gender they're trapped in right like these expectations that they have on them as women especially as women who are in kind of um you know have like higher career goals whether it's being principal of a school or what well, sarah silverman is like assistant yeah, to the mayor or something crazy. right uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and so like they're kind of two women yeah. who have a lot of pressure on them but like that is never addressed of kind of that um sort of constant yeah, pressure definitely. they have on themselves great and so then the last real question i feel like with regards to foucault is is the school of rock also like maybe a site of discipline because it's it's presented in the movie as this very freeing thing for the kids right and i feel like there's a lot that kind of yeah. it, it's complicated i think um because i think one argument you can make is that um Fuga talks a lot about the um the difference between discipline systems like within schools and right. the master and apprentice system right of sort of um from feudal eras saying that the master and apprentice system is not a discipline system right like um masters are laboring alongside right their apprentices um there isn't like a set course of study that apprentices go under it's more of a holistic learning efforts where they sort of go at it until they've mastered the art themselves and i think you could make the argument that jack black is closer to a master than he is to some sort of like um you know right, discipline right. it, it sort of is kids. like i feel like the movie wants to make the argument that this is sort of like education as it should be um that he like he's talking about something yeah. he loves and he's trying to just genuinely share it with these kids um and i think the example of the uh not freddie um the guitarist uh, uh zach yeah writing his own song is a oh, great zach. example of just like this kid is embarrassed about this song he's written um and jack black is is like super encouraging and is super like obviously great with these kids and is like no like let's play it like we're like i want to like nurture this in you like i'm gonna give you this confidence right and i think that like it's important too that jack black isn't just like telling them how to do everything but he's a part of yeah. the band too right so he's like singing the song and kind of growing as a band right. member alongside everyone else and so the kind of hierarchy between him and them i think is there but it, it's blurrier than in a yeah, traditional definitely. and that brings up that he has such a good character arc in this like the the script of this movie is so good like jack black's character has a, a such a great character <laughs> arc of like he knows that he loves music in the beginning but he is like sort of annoying and he's like too self-serious and like he just like can't get over things mm -hmm. <laughs> um and then like he like through like coming to appreciate like the kids like learning about music and like their love of music like has this whole thing where he like is becomes like reinvested in a more genuine way for sure for sure i mean i guess like the question is though is like this whole 
like how much of this is like undermined by the fact that like the original intention is that yeah. he's scamming these kids to make money off of them off of their like like genius right there is like a, talent. i don't know maybe like a more like marxist like argument to be made that he's like basically just like extracting labor <laughs> yeah. from them because he like wants money his band right. has kicked him out and so taken away his like avenue to get money and like he's presumably already getting checks from the school to be the substitute teacher or at least he thinks he is and he's like no no no, i want more <laughs> like yeah 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 and he wants the kind of the yeah. prestige on top of it right of yeah. winning battle of the band and i i mean like he kind of does create like a coercive system that these yeah. kids labor within right is because he sells the battle of the band competition as right. a, a school project right so kind of capitalizes upon their fears of failing and their fears of not getting gold stars to get them yeah, to definitely. join this band with them. Right. And so that sort of, I think, also brings up the question of whether the segmenting that Jack Black does, you know, he assigns them all roles. And some of it's based on the instruments they play, but some of it is just like, like, uh, you would be good at this. Like, so like the question of whether that segmenting mm -hmm. is like really sort of flat or whether it's still hierarchical, like whether it's still Foucauldian. Right. I mean, because... It's hard because I think that one thing that Foucault brings up is that in in segmenting roles, like if yeah. you take the army, for example, that the person who fulfills any given right. role like doesn't matter. That that role of captain or of um, you know other yeah. army words um, <laughs> is already like set, and that any person can right. be replaced and put in. Um, which really does help to effectively punish people for misbehaving. And in Jack Black's School of Rock, he kind of already has the roles sort of predetermined, right? Like there's the groupies, there's the band manager, there's the person yeah. who does the lights and the sound, you know, there's all the different musicians. And he sort of just right. slots the I, I definitely agree those. with that. But like, if you wanted to look at it the other way, he is like flexible, right? Like he assigns a role and someone comes to him and says, I mm -hmm. want to be a costume designer. And he's like, okay, great. Someone says like, I want to be a singer. He says, okay, great. Like, and like, he is, I think sort of often, like, especially with the lighting kid, uh, Gordon, he is like playing to the talents. Like clearly this kid is like a computer yeah. whiz and is like, really, he's like finding a new way to yeah. be really talented at this thing. Yeah. I was thinking about how, like, I do think it is against a discipline system that once they are within their roles and satisfied within the role that they have, they are given a lot of freedom to sort of define what that role looks like, or at least what that yeah. role produces, right? The fact that the the lights can kind of make whatever show he wants. The kid who makes the costume, the kid who makes the costumes, uh, there is some yeah. iffy sort of representation happening there too. Um, because essentially this kid is like... Um, like kind of a a, a flamboyant right. gay stereotype and who makes these sort of flamboyant sort of glittery costumes that jack black yeah. basically like shits all over right like this raises in an end. interesting like question just in the movie about like i want i just wonder how much it is like uh like meeting like seeing who the kids are and then like creating characters based on that like obviously not that that like it is like a stereotype it is sort of like cartoonish mm. and it's stereotypicalness but like i i didn't actually read it but i saw something about like the kid who played him like later like came out and like talks about like like the opportunity of getting to play this like this like character where he could just like 
like mm. that, that could just be true. I mean, not that it's explicit in the movie. No, that's actually a fair point. That like I didn't think about the fact that these kids might just be kind of playing fictional yeah. versions of themselves in the movie itself. Um, yeah, and I mean like I do feel so bad that he didn't. Yeah, I know. I, costumes, I like these costumes. You know? They're very, they're very like so hard. Um... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do understand the wanting to go with school uniforms because yeah. it's the school of rock, right? Um, but yeah. this poor kid worked so hard for so long. Yeah. And I guess with, like, segmentation as well, I guess the other question is that Foucault talks about how another um, sort of thing achieved through segmentation is competition, right? That you can sort of get individuals to work harder yeah. and be better at their roles by segmenting them out into whether it be classes sort of different groups and um by seg that by the nature of the segmentation they will compete right. against each other and it's um, interesting because they're not like i don't think they're competing against each other at least that i can think of like i think they're motivated by wanting to compete against these other bands or like the other schools that they think are participating in the battle of the bands um, but it's a very right like at least inward facing they're very like unified like they are unified in ways where it seems like they were actually kind of like a little bit mean towards each other before mm, that's a good point and i do think that like you know even though they are in a competition the kind of co conception of like who these people they're competing against are is very vague yeah. and you know and it's sort of more they're competing against sort of the unidentified large enemy rather than i think foucault is very specific that when um in his example when sort of groups are broken up um these groups know about each yeah. other and know who each other are and are forming group identities in competition with one another um and that's like they never really have any information about who their competitors are in the movie yeah, definitely um, I think the other argument you can kind of make about how this is not a discipline system, right, is that in discipline systems break up skills into discrete steps, right? And so one that Foucault talks about is the eight steps to reading, um, that you're basically taking this skill that, you know, it, it, how, do you, how do you rationalize and break up the process of reading yeah. and does so? Right, and I guess, like, I feel like he is, like, giving them sort of steps to learning right but it's very individualized and it's very just based on his love of music and like you see this in like what is like yeah. such an effective montage uh in the middle of the movie where he's just like he's teaching them about like rock history and he has this big like rock like flow chart of rock music and genres but he's also like giving each kid like videos to watch cds to listen to for their specific instrument the specific mm -hmm. thing that they're doing in the band like you see like freddie just like watching like a you know reel of like the drumming and the who and like in like rush and like the ramones and like they it, it's so individualized to who they all right. are and what they would all like right for sure where like the eight steps to reading um works on the idea that everyone right. goes through the same system and then that system has to work for everyone and if it doesn't that individual is a right. failure not the it's system. like about I, I think with the school of rock it's about like there is some amount of hierarchy but it's about like the personal cultivation of each kid to contribute to the collective right as opposed to like a set system yeah. in order to enforce discipline right and i mean i do think that jack black is really putting forth this philosophy too that like 
how would you even break down rock? Like rock right. is something you feel and you know in your right. heart. You can't like just teach it through steps. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even kind of after, right? Because the end of the movie, they sort of form this after school program where the kids basically just come and continue to rock. Yeah. And in this after school program, you're kind of seeing more of that where they kind of just come and they play and they experiment and there's no real lesson plan. Right in their education right no that's right that's a great point like they're doing it for the sake of doing it like they're doing it because they love doing mm-hmm. it, which is you know very sweet right right um great so i think that about does it seems like we think it's like maybe not a site of discipline um yeah, it's, it's yeah. Movie. if you haven't seen <laughs> yeah, movie, go jack black uh yeah great great richard linkletter directed movie fuck boyhood watch this yeah. movie yeah, much better than boyhood. Yeah, much, much more heartwarming. Like, and honestly, like a lot of the, you know, like also about like childhood wonder, you know. Yeah, and ultimately, like, um, you know, Zach stands up to his dad much better than the kid in Boyhood does. You know. Yeah, I, I think that Zach's dad is also a lot less sympathetic than the dad in Boyhood. Like, yeah, that's not, not that he doesn't have like his problems, but like. <laughs> You know that? Yeah. I, I know you know because we talked about it, but I just want to say it on mic. So, you know, Boyhood filmed over, like, whatever, 15 years, like, once a year. Uh, Richard Linkletter is doing a movie based on Merrily We Roll Along, which is a Sondheim mm-hmm. musical. And it takes place in reverse chronological order over, like, 20 years. And he's recording it over 20 years with, like, Beanie Feldstein. And then, and then they're going to switch it all around. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Cause like when I was a, a junior in high school, right? Like in my English class, my English teacher was like, you know, it would be edgy and different if we did American literature in reverse order, yeah. you know, and it makes, you know, it's really confusing to have to read um, fucking all quiet on the Western front before um, the Scarlet letter. You know, you just, you just that don't understand confusing. what's going on. Yeah. You just get no context um and you're just lost all year the reason why i like it is like that boyhood is like this is cool right this is cool to see and is a cool idea but like the story itself is maybe kind of bad like (laughs) that so like i i want to see it happen and i want to see just this like movie with like you know 40 year old beanie feldstein and ben platt but like with some like artistic like oomph behind it that is valid. And I do love a good flashback in a movie, yeah. you know? Oh, I love a good flashback. And yeah, and I, I do feel like we would get a lot out of just, like, it, it continuous flashbacks over and over again. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so that is our episode on School of Rock. Uh, if you like what you hear on this podcast, you can find us on Patreon. We have levels, depending on how much you donate. There are prizes of some, you know, sorts. Uh not not material prizes like immaterial prizes yeah for for example if you um become a blatant misjuster you can suggest what we will do for our next episode either a piece of media or a piece of theory um and in fact our next episode will be something that was misjuggested to us um so next episode we're going to be covering the american classic shark tale with starring will smith um with um judith butler yeah something by judith butler it'll be about yeah yeah (laughs) so get ready um great 
So Blatant Misreading is produced by Josie Baker and created and written by Marju Tong-Oxley and Aaron Posner. Our intro music is by Connor James, and our cover art is by Hannah Grimes. Blatant Misreading is recorded and produced in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and New York, New York. Minneapolis. Ha ha ha. What a pun. I know. Offensive. <laughs>